Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Good to see each of you here today as we gather to worship. And I have a question for you as we begin today. I want to ask you, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand here today, but how many of you are carrying some extra weight around that you don't need to be carrying? And uh, you might think that's a rather personal question. I want you to all relax. I'm not going to be talking about anybody being overweight physically, though there are some like me who uh, used to be really skinny and thought you'd never have to worry about that. Um, I'm talking about a different kind of a weight, um, and I'm going to call it a burden, um, because that's what the scripture we're looking at calls it today. And, And a burden is an oppressive load. It's something one carries, but with difficulty. And as I think of burdens, one of the things that comes to my mind is something I've recently become familiar with, something called rucking. Anybody know what that is? It's an exercise or strength-building plan that involves putting a bunch of weights in a backpack and then carrying it as you go walking or hiking. And nobody's talked me into going on their weighted walks with them yet, but I understand rucking and the purpose of it is... Yeah, it's carrying a burden with a purpose of building up strength. That's a whole different matter than what I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, The scripture that we look at today talks about carrying a heavy burden that you don't need to carry. And we're looking at Psalm 38 today. I invite you to look with me at that. And and would you stand in reverence to God's word as we read. Psalm 38, beginning with verse 1. O Lord... Rebuke me not in your wrath, and chase me not in your burning anger. For your arrows have sunk deep into me, and your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly, and I am bent over and greatly bowed down, and I go mourning all day long. For my loins are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh, and I am benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, even that, is gone from me. And my loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my kinsmen stand far off. Those who seek my life lay snares for me, and those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction. They devise treachery all day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. I am like a mute man who does not open his mouth. It's like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no arguments. For I hope in you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. For I said, may they not rejoice over me, who when my foot slips would magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I confess my iniquity, and I am full of anxiety because of my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and strong, and many are those who hate me wrongfully, and those who repay evil for good. They oppose me because I follow what is good. 
Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and, and we thank you for the Psalms and the heart cry of David here and in other Psalms as well, Lord. Struggling with things in life, but knowing where to go with it. And we pray that uh, as we meditate on this, you would encourage each one here today, whatever burdens they are dealing with, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Psalm 38 is one of seven psalms that are sometimes referred to as the penitential psalms, and they include Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. Uh, These are psalms that express sorrow for sin and confession of sin, and at least as far back as the 6th century AD, these psalms have been categorized as the penitential psalms. They've been ones looked to as aids of repentance of sin, and uh, appropriate then for us as individuals and as a church to, to pray, and to pray from our hearts. And as Lent is just around the corner here with Ash Wednesday, uh, this coming Wednesday, and Lent is a time for us to come together as a church and to ask God to search our hearts and to help us to live in daily repentance and faith in Jesus, I, I think it's appropriate we spend some time in some of these penitential psalms, and so I'll be sharing from some of them um, during some of the Sundays on Le- of Lent, and as Pastor Ryan mentioned on Wednesday nights, we'll be looking at the focus of prayer, uh, in particular the seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And again, I sure want to encourage you to come together for that. That's one of the things I've, I've loved about uh, this congregation, is that it seems like during Lent, I uh, have good turnout for Wednesday nights of all ages. It helps that uh, we have uh, great food provided by some families of the youth here during that time, and, and then we come together for a, a shorter service and, and then go our separate ways still to have those various ministries um, be able to have some time to meet um, privately as well. And, and uh, again, we, we're going to be looking to some of our laymen for some of the messages and, and I look forward to that. Thanks for you who have said you'd be willing to after Ryan twisted your arm a little bit. Um, and and uh, th- there's also opportunities, you know, for some special music and different things like that. And sometimes our various ministries have taken a turn at that. So hope that you'll do that. And if so, um, maybe talk to Rhonda. I think she's in charge of organizing that part of it. Uh, Back to Psalm 38 here and to that oppressive burden that it talks about. Or in my outline, I call it a loathsome burden. What is that burden that David, the psalmist, is describing here? In verse 4, he he calls it a heavy burden that weighs too much for me. In verse 2, he describes it as as God's hand pressing down on him. I remember as a kid, on occasion, uh, squirming around a bit too much during a church service. And um, my dad's firm hand would reach over either on my shoulder or on my knee, and... uh, it seemed a heavy hand at that point, and sometimes it was a strong hand because he squeezed as well. Um, but Dad's hand then always had a way of getting my attention. Well, God has a heavier hand. He, he has a way of getting our attention when he chooses to do so. And, and apparently that is what he was doing with David here as David dealt with this heavy burden he was carrying uh, that he wouldn't have to carry. And let's look at what was that burden 
A part of it actually wasn't a physical thing, but something that David was struggling with on the inside. And the other part of the burden was that it also did affect him then um, physically as well. The, the inner burden, he describes here, is a guilty conscience. David was carrying around a load of guilt for something. And, and next week we're going to be looking at Psalm 51. And, and there it, it's clear there was a specific sin that he was dealing with the consequences of. Um, in this psalm it's not clear, just uh, if it was that or something else. But anyway, it is clear that he has a guilty conscience. And, and, and he's suffering under the weight of that guilty conscience. And, and that can be much worse of a burden to bear than carrying a literal load on your back, in that backpack. <clears throat> and David describes it here then as, as feeling God's anger. And like, like an arrow also that sunk deep down into him, and it's affecting him physically then as well. And I want to ask you today, have you been there sometime in your life? Or, or maybe you're there even now, where there's something that you've done in the past, or something maybe even that you're continuing to do, that, that you know is not right, and your conscience is just weighed heavy on you. And you know God would be perfectly righteous to, to give you serious consequences for that sin. But you are hoping that he doesn't. That's what I see David dealing with here. Verse, uh, right at the beginning there, he says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath or chasten me in your burning anger. Your arrows have sunk deep into me and your hand has pressed down on me. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation, no health in my bones because of my sin, for your iniquities, or my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. You know, as we look on in this psalm, we see how this sin is affecting David's physical body as well. Besides that inner burden of sin, there's also that outer burden. <clears throat> and, and plenty of us deal with this outer burden as well, though not necessarily for the same reasons. Um, I, I want to just call it a weakness of flesh. Look at verse 5 here. He describes, My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I'm bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. My loins are filled with burning. There's no soundness in my flesh. I'm benumbed, badly crushed. And I groan because of the agitation of my heart. And I want to be clear on this now. We don't want to jump to a conclusion here. David is not saying that all physical sickness and suffering are a result of some specific personal sin. And Jesus was very clear on that when somebody was suggesting that about an individual in the New Testament. Um, God sometimes allows sickness and suffering in this fallen world not because of somebody's personal sinful action, but because of the effect of the fall on the whole world. The whole world is suffering as a result of our corporate, our, all of mankind's rebellion against God. And so God allows and he uses sickness and suffering for his purposes. And sometimes we don't even know what that is. You don't understand it. And he uses then our outer weakness of flesh to get our attention and to get the attention of others around us. However, in David's case here, he, he does recognize his physical suffering is a consequence of his personal sin. And he says that there in verse 5, my, my wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. Or ESV says, because of my foolishness. And so that's that loathsome burden that David's dealing with here. Not only is he feeling this inner weight of, of guilty conscience, 
but also physically feeling ill as a result of it. And also, as we look on here, we see that he's feeling very much alone in this suffering. <clears throat> look at the lonely situation here. Why is he feeling so alone? And I see a few, list, a few reasons there in verses 9 and following. And one of them is that he knows that God sees his situation and yet is still silent. He says, there, Lord, all my desire is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. Well, maybe you are one who is dealing with some heavy burden in your life and you know the truth of God's word that God sees and that he hears all. And so that means that he's fully aware of your situation too. And you know all of that in your head. And you go about each day though sighing or groaning because of this difficulty you're dealing with. And maybe you have repeatedly even brought this matter to God in prayer and you've poured out your heart to him, but so far it just seems like he's silent and he's not answering your prayer. That's a tough thing to endure. And even though people say some things to you to encourage you, you know, they say things like, oh, well, the Lord's there for you. We're praying for you. And you know all that to be true, and yet still you feel so alone. And that's partly because no one else really understands what you're going through. And, and David says his lonely situation was partly because his loved ones and his friends were standing aloof. You look at verse 10 there. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, the light of my eyes is gone from me. My loved ones... And my friends stand aloof from my plague. And my kinsmen stand far off. You know, family and friends are the people we need most in the times of crisis, but sometimes they don't know what to say. And so they just kind of pull back from us too. And that just adds to then our feeling of aloneness. And for David, furthermore, he had some enemies that were eager to take advantage of the situation. He describes them as enemies that laid a snare for him. Verse 12 there. And, and they devised treachery all day long. And I, I hope that none of you have enemies like that. But you know, in this fallen world that we live in, sometimes there are those people who, for whatever reason, decide they don't like us. And, and who would just love to see us brought low. And they seem to be just lurking around the corner, waiting for us to mess up in some way that they can point out and, to other people. And they just seemed like they'd like to rejoice to see us suffer. If you've ever had a situation like that, then you can relate to David here. And then, you know, when our own weakness, our own sins, have added to that hostility in that relationship, then, then the loneliness of the situation is even compounded. And David, as he considers this loathsome burden and this lonely situation, feels numb and he doesn't have anything left to say. And... Uh, he is just silent. And if you look at verse 13 and 14, they are to describe what it's like when, when somebody then just withdraws oneself, even in the midst of a crowd. There can be noise all around us and people saying things, but it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other without really being processed. And, and it's possible there's somebody even here right now, even while I'm preaching this sermon where that's happening, you're here physically, but you're in another world, in, in your mind. Thoughts weighing heavily on you about something else. David says here, but I'm like a deaf man who does not hear. I'm like a mute man who does not open his mouth. It's like a man who does not hear, and whose mouth there are no arguments. David has nothing left to say to protest his situation. He has no arguments left for God about it. After all, what really does it change? 
to argue with God about something. And so he says here that, that he just is quiet. I'm reminded of what Psalm 115 verse 3 says, but our God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. And so often there are times we just don't understand what he's doing with the situation we're facing. And, and so here we have it. Then this loathsome burden that he's dealing with is, is an inner guilty conscience and, and an outer weakness of flesh. And the resultant lonely situation is that he knows God sees it all and is still silent. Loved ones and friends seem to stand far off and, and enemies are laying a snare and David's left numb and silent. And yet, all that being the case, David still has hope. And his hope is in one and one, old, and one thing only, and that is that he knows the character of Almighty God. And he knows that God is good and that he is merciful and that he desires to help all who look to him. And ever since the creation of mankind, that has been the case, and it's still the case today. And, and the, that theme then of hope in God rings throughout the Bible. I'm reminded of, of some verses in the Old Testament book of Lamentations, uh, a book written by Jeremiah the prophet um, at the destruction of his city, Jerusalem, by the Babylonians. And uh, Jeremiah had spent his life, really, warning the people of Jerusalem to turn back to God or destruction's going to come. And yet, even after it came, and Jeremiah's looking all over the city, and it's in total ruin. And he laments the devastation and the people that have been killed or carried off into exile. And yet still he looks to God with hope. And there's those familiar verses in Lamentation chapter 3. He says, Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. The bitterness and surely my soul remembers and it's bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness is indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord's good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. Even in miserable situations, there's hope. And so look with me at, at David's lone hope here. He says that it's, he's ready to fall. And yet he's confidently hoping in the Lord. Verse 9, Lord, all my desire is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And he just lays it out. He's pouring out his heart to God. Lord, you know my situation. And you know what I want. And I have nowhere else to go. For I hope in you, Lord. You will answer, O Lord, my God. You know, David has been in dire straits before. And God has helped him. He's messed up badly before. And God has not deserted him. And he knows that he has strong enemies. But he is a stronger God. He says here, May they not rejoice over me, for I'm ready to fall. My sorrow is continually before me. And in that statement there in verse 17, I'm ready to fall. Kidner, in his commentary on this, says, This may be a confession of the sinner's chronic instability. In other words, that he, that he is prone to stumble. And so I want you to picture somebody that's prone to stumble. I'm just going to say, like, picture, for instance, an old man who shuffles along not so steady on his feet and who could trip and fall at any time. 
Well, perhaps some of us are like that spiritually. Maybe we have some areas of weakness that have tripped us up time and time again. Maybe for some, uh, we, we might call them even sinful addictions that Satan has used to cause us to live in defeat. Some of them could even lead to death, unless the Lord helps to overcome. Whatever it was, it was David's weakness. He recognizes it and he says, Oh God, I'm hoping again only in you. And then I see David do the one thing that we all must do. Whenever we know that we have messed up, that is when we know that we have sinned against God and his perfect standards that are laid out in his holy word, whenever the law shows us our sinfulness, we are to humbly confess it and then rest in the promise of the gospel of forgiveness of sin available in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so as we come to the close of this psalm here, we see David doing that. He's humbly confessing his sin to God and then just waiting, waiting for his help. He says there, My sorrow is continually before me, for I confess my iniquity. I'm full of anxiety because of my sin. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, do not be far from me. I don't know what burdens each of you are carrying around today, though I guess I do know a few of them. Some are struggling with some failing health. Some have some serious financial challenges that are adding up. There are some who are losing their job or, or maybe their means of making a living are uncertain at this point. There, there are others whose relationships are falling apart and seeming nothing you can do about it. And that's listing just a few. What can we do? Only humble ourselves before God, confess our known sins, seek to live in daily repentance and faith, and pour out our heart to God, and then wait. Wait for his answer. And like David, we might want that answer to come fast. He says, make haste, help me. O Lord, my salvation. You know, God's timing is often very different than ours. And yet his help is sure. Because he is the God of our salvation. And he at times rescues us amid various challenges of this earthly life. And many of us can look back on some things and we say, yes, God rescued me or helped me in that time. And he does save us from carrying around that burden of guilt about our sin. And in Jesus, we are promised full forgiveness, and we're promised freedom then from that oppressive load. We don't have to carry it. And we're also assured that he who has the Son, that is Jesus, has eternal life. And so even in death we triumph because even death cannot separate us from his love. It reminded of a song and some words of it that fit with this. We're not going to sing it at this time. We've got another one, but that, that Song, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary, says, Is your burden heavy as you bear it all alone? That's what David was feeling here. But the chorus reminds us, Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we do thank you for the psalmist who uh, <laughs> pours out his heart and his life in a way that many of us can relate to. And Lord, you know each one of us and you know the burdens that people carry here today. 
And we thank you that you are our hope. And that's not a, a maybe thing, but a sure thing. We can look to you and know that you will help us. Whatever we're dealing with, you'll give us strength to endure or you'll release us from that burden. We thank you especially that we can know that that, that burden that weighs on all of us of our own sin and failures, we don't have to carry around because there is full forgiveness and release from the weight of that sin and its guilt. And we thank you too that we can know then a restored relationship with you and we can know that we have eternal life. And we rest in those promises today, Lord. And we look to you with hope each day. Amen.